The following episode of Lyrics of Their Life podcast deals with serious issues such as drug references, sexual references and violence that may be distressing to some listeners. It is not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Lyrics of Their Life, the podcast that talks about the extraordinary lives lived by those that wrote or performed the songs we know and love. I'm your host Adam Hampton and in today's episode we jump right back into the story of Eminem. In part one we explored what Eminem's troubled childhood looked like all the way through to the Slim Shady EP and Eminem signing his first ever record deal. Followed by part two, where Eminem's career took off with his highly controversial albums, the Slim Shady LP and Marshall Mathers LP. As Eminem battled censorship and protesters, criminal and court battles, struggles with his wife Kim and balancing the touring life with his home life and being there for Haley. So if you haven't yet listened to part one or two, I highly recommend checking them out first. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. This is Eminem, part three. This is Lyrics of Their Life. It was in late 2001 that Eminem would, after all these years, receive a written letter from his father, Bruce Mathers, who attempted to fill Eminem in on why he left and what he has been up to since then. When Eminem received the letter, he was now 29 years old, after Eminem himself had once reached out and sent Bruce a letter as a teenager, but got no response back. The letter from Bruce to Eminem read, Dear Eminem, Hello son, you won't remember me, though I held you in my arms when you were a baby. You think I dumped you and your mother and never came looking for you. You're convinced I'm a drunk who never answered any of your letters. Well, I want you to read this and realise you've been fed lies all your life. Now you'll hear the truth for the first time. But I want to make it plain that I'm not after any handout. I work hard, I have money. I don't need or want your money. But the one ambition left in my life is to give you a hug and tell you I've always loved you. Let me start at the beginning and tell you the whole story. I was just 21 when I married Debbie, your mum. She was 15 and had to get a special permission. For a year, we lived with my parents in the basement of a house in North Dakota. We married too young. It was ridiculous, but I was delighted when your mum became pregnant. She says I was drinking and doing drugs, but this isn't true. She even claimed I wasn't at the hospital when you were born that I was gallivanting around with her best friend. It's a lie, and I can prove it. Okay, I wasn't there at your actual delivery. Hospitals weren't that keen on letting dads in in those days, but I was there up to the delivery, and ten minutes afterwards. I still have the baby book in which Debbie recorded who was present in the hospital, and I'm listed. Why would she write that 
if I wasn't there. When you were a baby, I loved it. You were so cute, and I enjoyed feeding you and doing your diapers. Your mum and I didn't get on, but she was great with you. You were always clean and well-fed and well-dressed, and I couldn't fault her for that. But sadly, the atmosphere between us deteriorated. We'd moved to our own apartment, and one day when you were about 16 or 17 months old, I came home from work and everything was missing. It was deathly quiet, no sound from the kitchen or from your room. Furniture, pictures, everything was gone. There wasn't even a note. I got in my car and started to drive around anywhere you and your mum might be. I now believe that you'd gone south to Missouri where Debbie had family. It was like a bolt from the blue. To read now that it was me who walked out makes me choke with tears of rage. I spent six weeks looking everywhere for you both. I was distraught. Eventually, I got divorce papers, but it was all done through lawyers, and they wouldn't tell me where you both were. There was never a day in court. It was all done on paper. After about a year, I gave it up. I just had no more energy for it. In the movies, you'd track someone down, but in real life, you can't do that. You have a job, you have to work, you don't have unlimited cash to go hunting around the nation. I've since read interviews where you say you wrote letters to me and they came back, returned to sender. I can say on the word of God that I didn't even receive one letter from you. Anyway, in 1975, I moved to San Diego, fell in love again and had a son and daughter. Michael's 23 and Sarah's 21. They're the half-brother and sister that you never met. In fact, it was Michael that came to me and said there was this new rapper on the scene and his real name was the same as mine. I didn't think anything of it. Then someone showed me Rolling Stone magazine and there was a picture of Debbie holding you when you were little. It freaked me out. On my behalf, Sarah wrote to you via your record company saying that I was alive and well and giving an address in the hope that you'd get in touch. We didn't even get an acknowledgement as a reply. When I moved to California, your mum would have had no idea where I was, so how could you have been given a proper address? I suspect she just said anything to you, so you'd write the letter and the post office returned it. But that made her version of me being uncaring sound like the truth. If I was such a bad father, how come Michael and Sarah are still in touch with me and get on well, despite the fact that I've partnered from their mother. For the past two years, I've had a new girlfriend. Her name's Teresa Harbin, and she's 40. You'd like her. Me, well, I'm 50 now, and I'm a construction worker. There are so many lies to put to rest. There's a picture of me apparently going into an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, but I don't drink anymore. That photo is of me going into a donut shop, and I can prove it, because the sign is in the background. I even read that Debbie has said I'm part Blackfoot Indian and she's part Cherokee. It sounds good, but actually, your mum's family come from Scandinavia and my dad's family originate from South Wales. I'm told they have good singing voices in Wales, all those choirs, so maybe some of that rubbed off on you, son. It'd be nice to think so. Anyway, that's about it for now. I just want you to know there hasn't been a day where I haven't thought about you. I'm saying all this in the news of the world because they're the only paper who've bothered to find the truth. 
I'd get on a plane right now, this second, and go anywhere in the world if you'd meet with me. Please get in touch. Eminem, however, never replied to the letter, and for the rest of their lives, they remained apart, never to meet each other or speak about the issue. Much later in 2010, Eminem would state in an interview for 60 Minutes, quote, If my kids move to the edge of the earth, I would find them, no doubt in my mind. No money, no nothing. If I had nothing, I would find my kids. Along with this statement, Eminem believed Bruce's words were full of inconsistencies and he struggled to buy into his father's claims that he tried to find them. On the 31st of March, 2002, Eminem would face another lawsuit alongside Dr. Dre this time around after French jazz pianist Jacques Louser claimed that they had taken his beat from a song called Pulsion and used it in the song Kill You for the Marshall Mavis LP. Lausa demanded that any copies of the album be destroyed and any being pressed were to be stopped. This of course was a ridiculous request and was denied by the judge. He was also seeking $10 million in damages with the figure being settled privately outside of court for an undisclosed amount. Eminem had now been sued by a French musician, his mother, his ex-wife, his childhood bully and had appeared in court for two separate criminal charges by this point. In early 2002, things definitely started getting more complicated for Eminem when he and Kim both became the legal adoptive parents or guardians of the child of Kim's sister Dawn named Amanda Marie Scott who would have her name changed to Elena Marie Mathers, as Kim and Eminem would share joint custody of Elena, with her nickname being commonly known in Eminem's songs as Lainey. Elena was born on the 3rd of May 1993, and although she was born to her mother Dawn, Eminem and Kim essentially raised her alongside her cousin Haley, with the two of them almost becoming like sisters over the years. This was mainly due to Elena's mother Dawn and her ongoing and severe battles with drug abuse, crime and heroin addiction, often leaving her incapable of caring for Elena. With Dawn being unable to pull herself together, she was stripped of her parental rights to Elena and awarded to Eminem and Kim. When speaking to Rolling Stone magazine in 2004, Eminem said, My niece has been part of my life ever since she was born. Me and Kim pretty much had her all the time. She'd live with us wherever we was at. To this day, Eminem raises Elena as if she is his and has mentioned her numerous times in his music and despite being a father figure, Elena would still refer to Eminem as Uncle Marshall. Since Eminem and Kim's divorce, Kim had also lived quite recklessly, dating a range of strange men and having one night stands as her life spiralled out of control. This behaviour would result in Kim getting herself pregnant during 2001. On April 16th, 2002, Kim gave birth to a baby girl, naming her Whitney Scott. This was after Kim had gotten into a troubled and brief relationship with a tattoo artist named Eric Harter. Eric was often in trouble with the law and was a known drug abuser, but the pair quickly split up, leaving Kim a single mother once again. On top of all of this, Eminem's 16-year-old brother, Nate, 
had also been living with him from time to time when things weren't going so well at home with their mother Debbie. Nate had been taken away from Debbie's care a number of times in relation to abuse and Debbie's drug problems and most recently had only just gone back to her age 15 after being taken away briefly by the State Child Protective Services. Eminem would even file for custody of Nate at one stage over fears that his mother was causing Nate serious harm and it was approved. But Nate, as much as he hated his mother's abusive ways, he still missed her and would move back and forth over the years between Eminem and Debbie. It was around this time that Eminem's brother Nate started to date a girl from his school named Ashley Withy and now had an excuse to stay away from Debbie. The two brothers would remain very close with Nate always looking up to Eminem and had also been seen in the past in pictures and public appearances dressing like Eminem, cutting his hair short and dyeing it bleach blonde like him and even expressed that Eminem inspired him to want to be a rapper himself. On the 14th of May 2002, Eminem, or should I say Slim Shady, returned with an absolute banger of a track titled Without Me. Eminem summed up his break from performing as a solo artist perfectly by rapping the line, Now this looks like a job for me, so everybody, just follow me, cause we need a little controversy, cause it feels so empty without me. Eminem would take a number of stabs at musicians, including Limp Biscuit, Moby, Prince, and Chris Kirkpatrick, as he hits back at Dick Cheney and his wife Lynn Cheney over her comments calling his music despicable and targets organisations such as the FCC and MTV for attempting to block his music. Eminem also included a reference to his recent lawsuit with his mother Debbie by stating, I just settled all my lawsuits, fuck you Debbie. The comical music video was especially helpful in catapulting the single to the top of the singles charts as Eminem is seen dressed as Robin alongside Dr. Dre as a Batman type hero with a comic book strip setting in a nod to one of Eminem's favourite pastimes being reading comic books or graphic novels as Eminem looks set to save the world with his controversial rapping style. In relation to Eminem's feud with Moby, it all started at the 2001 Grammy Awards when techno artist Moby called Eminem out saying his music was misogynistic, homophobic and anti-Semitic so Eminem retaliated in this song by rapping the line Moby, you can get stomped by Obi, referring to Obi Trice You 36 year old bald headed fuck, blow me, you don't know me, you're too old, let it go, it's over, nobody listens to techno the feud between Moby and Eminem would continue on at the 2002 MTV Awards after Eminem had won the award for Best Male Video for Without Me. As Eminem went up to accept his award from Christina Aguilera, the crowd began booing after Eminem made some comments about Moby. Moby, who was wearing glasses, then made eye contact with Eminem as Eminem said, Keep booing little girl, I will hit a man with glasses as the crowd began to boo louder. And the winner is... <laughs> Interesting, Eminem. I don't know what to say when I be getting these awards, man. I got a list of people that I cannot forget to thank. 
First of all, I want to thank Dr. Dre, Jimmy Iovine, the whole Interscope staff. Yeah, I brought me a list. I wasn't finished writing it. Little, little Moby girl threw me out of my zone for a minute. My manager, Paul. All my attorneys, my production staff, Steve, Louie, keep booing. Keep booing, little girl. I will hit a man with glasses. My family, Haley, everybody, Nate, my brother, and Betty, my Uncle Jack, everybody who stayed with me the whole time. MTV, from the very first time that y'all played my video, and I was nobody, and nobody would play my videos, y'all made me somebody. Thank you. Eminem would parody a number of celebrities in the music video for Without Me, including Elvis Presley, where Eminem is seen dressed as Elvis before pulling a large sandwich from the toilet bowl to eat it, to hint at the rumours that Elvis died on the toilet while eating a foot-long sandwich. But despite dissing the king, Eminem does respect Elvis in the sense that they had both been successful in a genre of music that was dominated by the African Americans and that they were both seen as very controversial. This wouldn't be the only controversial scene however, as Eminem was seen towards the end of the video portraying Osama Bin Laden, causing quite the stir amongst the public and the critics just a year after 9-11. The video is now iconic with over 1 billion views on YouTube and still remains a relevant and popular track to this day. The success of Without Me, accompanied with the video, saw it rise to number one in 16 countries, including Australia, the UK, New Zealand, and across Europe, while peaking at number two in the US. The track would see Eminem step further into the mainstream pop market, which would see him cop some criticism from other rappers, claiming that he was a sellout. He didn't mind too much though, as he would eventually sell around 6 million copies of the single around the world. On the 26th of May, 2002, after Without Me started to take off, Eminem would release his fourth studio album, titled The Eminem Show. The album would prove once again why Eminem was one of the best new rappers on the scene, with his ruthless style and lyrical ability that drew similarities to a modern-day Bob Dylan, and would be the third consecutive album of his to win the Grammy for Best Rap Album. When speaking to Spin Magazine about the album, Eminem said, quote, Eventually, I might need some drama in my life to inspire me. With the Marshall Mavis LP, everything that everybody was saying, I took that, and it was my ammo. And then when shit died down a little bit, I had other turmoil in my personal life, so that was what I was able to dump out on the Eminem show. Now, I just gotta wait for the next phase of my life. But something always seems to happen. Man, something's always gotta be fucking turbulent. When speaking about what influenced him to write this album, he credited the 1998 comedy drama film, The Truman Show, basing it around actor Jim Carrey's character, Truman Burbank, where he is born into a televised controlled experiment that is broadcast all over the real world, unknowingly to him. As he was quoted as saying, My life felt like it was becoming a circus around that time, and it felt like I was always being watched. Basically, Jim Carrey wrote my album. 
Eminem also stated that 70s rock music actually influenced the album heavily, and he attempted to treat it as if he was writing a rock record, as he was quoted as saying, I listened to a lot of 70s rock growing up when I was real little. When I go back and listen to them songs like Led Zeppelin or Aerosmith, Jimi Hendrix, 70s rock had this incredible feel to it. The Eminem show explores the themes of jealousy from his rivals over his sudden rise to fame and success, life as a father, unfinished business with his mother, and all the recent events that had unfolded in his private life that Eminem had to get off his chest. As he was quoted as saying, Sing for the moment was the first song that I wrote for the album. Cleaning out my closet was the second. I had the line in cleaning out my closet, I'd like to welcome y'all out to the Eminem show. And it was just a line, but I sat back and I was like, my life is really like a fucking show. I have songs on the album that I wrote when I was in that shit last year, with a possible jail sentence hanging over my head and all the emotions going through the divorce. I went through a lot of shit last year, lawsuits, divorce, and the threat of jail time. I went through a lot of shit last year that I resolved at the same time all in the same year, and yeah, that's when half of the album was written. The Eminem show saw Eminem step away from the more controversial style he had adopted previously on his albums, with references to his wife, violence, and sexuality being dialed down for this one. But this time around, he wouldn't hold back on his beliefs relating to politics. On the Eminem show, Eminem displayed that he had definitely matured as an artist, now at the age of 29. While he would also tell Spin Magazine that everyone thinks, quote, he's got to cuss to sell records. That's why with this album, I toned it down a bit as far as shock value. I wanted to show that I'm a solid artist and I'm here to stay. Despite references to Slim Shady in the track Without Me, Eminem mostly appeared to leave behind the controversial persona, and for once, he actually became more socially accepted, and was no longer being protested against, like he was with the Marshall Mavis LP and Slim Shady LPs. Eminem himself regarded the Eminem show as one of the best records he had ever created, and the fans seemed to agree with him. To this day, it has sold over 23 million copies worldwide, selling 12 million of those in the US alone, and sits as his second best seller of all time, just behind his most controversial album, The Marshall Mavis LP. The Eminem show would peak at number one in a huge 17 countries, including Australia, the UK, New Zealand, the US, Canada, and across parts of Europe, including Germany and Italy. And for once, Eminem received positive reviews from critics. With the album taking off, on the 16th of July 2002, Eminem released his second single from the Eminem show, and arguably was one of his most personal and emotional tracks to date, with the track Cleaning Out My Closet. Cleaning Out My Closet would become yet another huge hit, reaching the top 5 in 14 countries, including Australia, New Zealand, the US, and the UK. The song had a great hip-hop style drum beat, with an electric guitar riff that added to the emotion of the song. It was a huge hit on radio, despite being heavily censored, as Eminem raps about his turbulent relationship with his mother. Debbie was quite upset when the song was blasted around the world on repeat on radio, and Eminem wasn't expecting it to get as big as it did. 
Eminem begins the song by mentioning that he simply couldn't hear any snare in his headphones, which actually occurred when the sound engineer accidentally muted that part as he continues on by rapping about all the recent objection to his music from parents and protesters and how they don't understand where he is coming from and why he is that way in the first place as he raps the lines I've been protested and demonstrated against picket signs for my wicked rhymes look at the times sick as the mind of the motherfucking kid that's behind all this commotion emotions run deep as oceans exploding tempers flaring from parents just blow them off and keep going Eminem then continues as he enters the chorus, explaining that he is in some way sorry to his mother for what he is about to expose to the world about the way she raised him, but he just needs to get it all off his chest, and at the same time, he is so angry and bitter towards her that he wants to expose her flaws. As he raps the line, I bet you're probably sick of me now, ain't you mama? I'ma make you look so ridiculous now. And then continues with, I'm sorry mama, I never meant to hurt you. I never meant to make you cry, but tonight, I'm cleaning out my closet. Eminem then refers to the time his father left him as a baby, and expresses his disgust at how he could have done that, especially when he himself has so much love for Haley and Elena. As he raps the line, I got some skeletons in my closet, and I don't know if no one knows it, so before they throw me inside my coffin and close it, I'ma expose it. I'll take you back to 73, before I ever had a multi-platinum selling CD. I was a baby, maybe I was just a couple of months. My faggot father must have had his panties up in a bunch, cause he split. I wonder if he even kissed me goodbye. No, I don't owe him a second thought. I just fucking wished he would die. I look at Haley, and I couldn't picture leaving her side. Even if I hated Kim, I'd grit my teeth and I'd try to make it work with her, at least for Haley's sake. I maybe made some mistakes, but I'm only human, but I'm man enough to face them today. Eminem then refers to the time he pulled a gun when he busted Kim kissing John Guerrera at Hot Rocks, as he raps the line, What I did was stupid, no doubt it was dumb, but the smartest shit I did was take the bullets out of that gun, cause I would've killed him, shit, I would've shot Kim and them both. From Eminem's point of view, he paints a picture for the listener of what it was like growing up with his mother and the neglect and abuse he received as he raps the lines, Just try to envision witnessing your mama popping prescription pills in the kitchen. Bitching that someone's always going through her purse and shit's missing. Going through public housing systems, victim of Munchausen syndrome. My whole life I was made to believe I was sick when I wasn't. In this verse, Eminem mentions Munchausen syndrome, which is said to be where an individual fakes an illness and is classified as a mental illness where they can go as far as making themselves look sickly or actually purposely make themselves sick. Eminem claimed that his mother would often do this, taking Vicodin and Valium for no reason and also tried to make out like he and his brother Nate were also sick, claiming that she would even give them medicine when they weren't sick going as far as sprinkling Valium on their cereal or food, and soon enough, they themselves also started thinking they were sick, which is known as Munchausen Syndrome by proxy. Eminem later claimed that this started his long-term battle with Valium and other prescription medications. 
Eminem continues on in the song as he mentions the Set the Record Straight CD with IDX that was mentioned earlier that Debbie had made in retaliation to his earlier work about her with the line, Wasn't it the reason you made that CD for me, Ma? So you could try to justify the way you treated me, Ma? Eminem then appears to become more resentful and ruthless as all the emotions and memories come flowing back and he begins rubbing it in that Debbie is growing older and more lonely by the day and both Nate and Haley are growing up so quick that they'll both soon learn of what type of person she really is as Eminem raps the line. You're getting older now and it's cold when you're lonely and Nathan's growing up so quick he's gonna know that you're phony. And Haley's getting so big now, you should see her, she's beautiful, but you'll never see her, she won't even be at your funeral. Towards the end of the song, Eminem reaches his boiling point as he becomes emotional and angry. Eminem refers back to the song Debbie wrote for her CD called Dear Marshall and how she attempted to sue him and bring him down when he was struggling financially already to support his family. That she didn't support his career despite claiming herself that she had helped him achieve his dream and how she made him feel so guilty when Ronnie passed away. As he raps the lines, See, what hurts me the most is you won't admit you were wrong. Bitch, do your song. Keep telling yourself that you was a mum. But how dare you try to take what you didn't help me to get. You selfish bitch. I hope you burn in hell for this shit. Remember when Ronnie died and you said you wished it was me? Well guess what? I am dead. Dead to you as can be. While cleaning out my closet contains some confronting imagery and references. It is arguably up until this point one of his most powerful and best written songs and shows just how far he had come as a writer. His ability to pour his heart out to portray his side of the story in a biographical sense allows the listener to strongly connect with him and step into his shoes on a more personal level and undoubtedly many around the world in similar predicaments felt the same way and like he understood them. And that was clear to see, as so many people reacted to it, and it became a popular hit around the world. Cleaning Out My Closet was said to be in line to be the main theme for the upcoming 8 Mile film, and even Conniver, of D12, believes it almost became a D12 track, but as it was too personal, Eminem decided to keep it for the Eminem show. Other interesting songs from the album included the single Superman, Sing for the Moment and Business that were released from January to July 2003 and the album only tracks titled Haley's Song, White America, Till I Collapse and Square Dance. Superman would peak at number 15 in the US and was written by Eminem about fans that would literally do anything to sleep with him or other musicians or celebrities and stating that he would prefer to stay single as he despises relationships now after his turbulent relationship with Kim. Eminem also angrily directs the song at his ex-wife Kim and hints at feeling regret in marrying her in the first place and that it totally changed his outlook on relationships as a whole. In Superman, Eminem claims that although he is viewed to some women as a Superman type saviour for their problems, he is not interested in getting involved in their issues or a relationship and wants them to know that he isn't as charming as they would want to believe as he sings the line... I can't be your Superman. 
In relation to Kim and other women, he claims he can't always swoop in and save them, but they instead need to sort out their own issues first. Eminem refers to how he used to be while in a relationship with Kim and how he appeared to be attracted to those that needed fixing or saving, singing the line, They call me Superman. I'm here to rescue you. I want to save you, girl. Come be in Shady's world. Eminem then raps about life after Kim and his new approach to getting tied down with the line, I'm single now. Got no ring on this finger now. I'll never let another chick bring me down. In a relationship, save it bitch, babysit. You make me sick, Superman ain't saving shit. The song features a raunchy or erotic type beat that in a way is romantic, but the lyrics of course are quite the opposite. Eminem continues on his tirade in Superman as he refers to sleeping with fans on one night stands who act like they know him personally and want more than just a physical connection, while also referring to the rumoured fling between him and Mariah Carey as he raps the line, What you trying to be my new wife? What you Mariah? Fly through twice? Eminem of course claiming that they hooked up twice and would cause quite the rivalry with Mariah over these lyrics after first claiming the pair hooked up in 2001 when Mariah had asked him to feature on her album Charm Bracelet with Eminem speaking to Rolling Stone magazine about the fling and stating There's truth to that but on the whole personal level I'm not really feeling it I just don't like her as a person. Eminem also claimed that Mariah Carey had left him a loving and raunchy voice message on his voicemail machine and that he ended up knocking back the opportunity to feature on her album. Mariah Carey would retaliate over these claims with a song called Clown where she denied that they were ever together and sung about Eminem being a sad, lonely and immature little boy. Eminem also referenced his fling with Mariah in the song When The Music Stops, which was also from the Eminem Show album. The track When The Music Stops is a collaboration with D12 as they vent their frustrations over the people taking rap music too seriously and as offensive when they haven't even walked in the same shoes as them and that those listening to the songs should not go out and copy what their rapping is about and that they need to separate themselves from the message in the song when the music stops. It also explores those that they thought were their friends, but now are backstabbing them due to jealousy, and that money really doesn't bring happiness at all. The fourth single from the Eminem show was titled Sing For The Moment, which samples Aerosmith's Dream On, with Steven Tyler's vocals, which was a childhood favourite of Eminem's, and even saw Aerosmith guitarist Joe Perry perform a solo for the track towards the end of the song while the drum pattern samples Titanic's I See No Reason. The song made it to number one in Portugal and made it to the top five in nine countries, including Australia, Canada and New Zealand, six in the UK and 14 in the US. The track was heavily praised by critics for Eminem's self-reflective biographical style lyrics and for his rapping ability. In Sing For The Moment, Eminem raps about how strange it feels to have people looking up to him and how hard it is to be at the top after such a sudden rise to fame and success. Eminem looks back on his career and personal life so far as he realises that he has given a voice to those less fortunate 
that are just like he once was, and that he doesn't understand why parents and critics are becoming so disturbed by his music, and the fact that he often swears in his songs, as he feels it provides an outlet for those in similar situations. As he told Rap Genius, quote, I realised I was becoming like the rappers I looked up to as a kid. I identified with and loved LL Cool J and the Beastie Boys. I felt like if everybody didn't understand their music, it didn't matter. They were speaking to me. So that's what I was trying to make people realise on this track. Sing For The Moment is also Eminem's thank you track to his fans as he expresses his appreciation of them and vows them to sing with him as they get through the tough times together. In an interesting one-liner, Eminem raps, You're full of shit too, Guerrera. That was a fist that hit you. This was a direct reference to John Guerrera, the man he busted kissing his now ex-wife Kim, who later took Eminem to court, claiming he pistol-whipped him and was awarded $100,000 in damages. Eminem, of course, claiming it was just his fist that hit him and not the pistol that connected with his face. The fifth single from the Eminem show was titled Business and is one of the most catchiest tracks on the album with a great flowing hip-hop beat. The song also did quite well, peaking at number four in Australia, six in the Netherlands and the UK and seven in Ireland. The track Business sees Eminem and Dr. Dre collaborate referring to themselves once again as Batman and Robin-like in the song Without Me, and basically staking their claim as the best duo in the rap game, and taking aim at others who can't match them lyrically. Eminem even refers to the risky performance at the 2001 Grammys alongside Elton John, where they broke down Eminem's so-called homophobe tag by rapping the line, The most feared duet since me and Elton played career Russian roulette. In other tracks from the Eminem show, Eminem makes a strong statement in the song White America, as Eminem sarcastically explores the stance by protesters, critics, parents, and even the government over his lyrics in his previous albums, as they attempted to silence his work as they feared it was making their impressionable white children commit heinous crimes and that it was negatively altering their behaviour towards their parents and life in general. Eminem refers to the government investigating him over his music and how his music resonates with everyday white Americans as they look just like him, referring to them as Eric and Erica in the song as he raps the lines, See, the problem is I speak to suburban kids who otherwise would have never known these words exist, whose mums probably would have never gave two squirts of piss till I created so much motherfucking turbulence. I never would have dreamed in a million years I'd see so many motherfucking people who feel like me, who share the same views and the exact same beliefs. It's like a fucking army marching in back of me. So many lives I touched, so much anger aimed, in no particular direction, just sprays and sprays. And straight through your radio waves, it plays and plays, till it is stuck in your head for days and days. Who would have thought standing in this mirror, bleaching my hair with some peroxide, reaching for a t-shirt to wear, that I would catapult to the forefront of rap like this? How could I predict my words would have an impact like this? I must have struck a chord with somebody up in the office, cause Congress keep telling me I ain't causing nothing but problems. And now they're saying I'm in trouble with the government, and I'm loving it. 
I shoveled shit all my life, and now I'm dumping it on. White America, I could be one of your kids. White America, little Eric looks just like this. White America, Erica loves my shit. I go to TRL, look how many hugs I get. In Eminem's defence, he claims he's simply using freedom of speech and expression in a country that is supposed to support that way of life, or at least that's what the government want people to believe, and he says that people never seemed to have a problem before when African Americans were rapping and appealing to their community, but since a white rapper has come onto the scene, he is the prime target as he introduced white kids to rap music. The music video for the track graphically depicts police brutality against the African American community, which 20 years on would still remain an issue. While Eminem also opens up about how racism has played a part in his African American brothers being half as successful as he had been so quickly and feeling guilty about it by rapping the lines, Look at these eyes, baby blue, baby just like yourself. If they were brown, Shady would lose, Shady sits on the shelf. And the line, let's do the math, if I was black, I would have sold half. I ain't have to graduate from Lincoln High School to know that. Eminem also explores the difficulty to make it in the rap game as a white man, and that without Dr. Dre, he still wouldn't have a voice or probably made it as the music industry is so ridiculously racist and judgmental on those that don't fit their cookie-cutter stereotypes. One of the sweetest songs Eminem had ever wrote, or included on an album before, would be the track Haley's Song. In this track, Eminem tries his hand at singing for the first time, instead of just rapping. In Haley's song, Eminem expresses his admiration and unconditional love for his daughter Haley, as he expresses that when he's feeling down, or like fame or the world is getting on top of him, he just has to take one look at his daughter to make all the negative thoughts go away, as she is one of the only things that keep him alive, and that he would do whatever it took to protect her. With a solid beat, Eminem raps the beautiful lines, Sometimes it feels like the world's on my shoulders. Everyone's leaning on me. Cause sometimes it feels like the world's almost over. But then she comes back to me. My baby girl keeps getting older. I watch her grow up with pride. People make jokes cause they don't understand me. They just don't see my real side. I act like shit don't faze me. Instead it drives me crazy. My insecurities could eat me alive. But then I see my baby, suddenly I'm not crazy, it all makes sense when I look into her eye. In this very open and honest track, Eminem admits he is not perfect, but maintains he is a great father, and that nothing could get in the way of his love for Haley, not even his ex-wife Kim, as he expresses in the song that she has caused him so much grief, and he has his regrets, but the best thing he ever did with Kim was create his baby girl Haley. Haley's song almost didn't make it onto the album as Eminem had planned to record it and gift it to his daughter when she was much older, but after Dr. Dre played it for a number of ladies, they felt it was too heartwarming and beautiful not to be heard on the album. A similar track is included on the album titled My Dad's Gone Crazy, where Haley features on vocals for the track, singing alongside her dad, with her being just six years old during the recording process, as she would often come into the studio with him, basically coming to work with her dad. To keep her occupied while Eminem recorded, they would have video games and toys set up for her, 
and her personality was described by Eminem as goofy like him, and that she would often run around the studio saying silly things. During the recording process, Eminem was recording a song he had wrote, and was sounding a bit funny to Haley as she randomly said out loud, Somebody help me, I think my dad's gone crazy. Eminem then asked her to repeat what she had just said, before she requested to say it through the microphone. They then recorded Haley saying, I think my dad's gone crazy, and it went on to the album. In a 2001 interview, Eminem would be quoted as saying, Haley listens to my music. There are certain songs that, if there's a lot of cuss words in a row, you know, a fuck here and a fuck there, and a shit here and a shit there, those can slip by her, and she's six, and I remember when I was six, music just used to fly by to me. I didn't catch everything. I just believe kids are smarter now than we were back then. There are certain songs if there are a lot of cuss words in a row, I'll make her a clean version and she can listen to that on a Walkman or I'll play that when I'm in the car. But if it's just mild or whatever, you know, she can listen to it, it's fine. Despite allowing Haley to listen to his music and a couple of cuss words here and there, Eminem would also elaborate on 60 Minutes that he doesn't like to cuss in his home as he doesn't want her to pick up the cuss words when he said, I'm a parent, I have daughters. I mean, how would I really sound as a person like walking around my house saying, bitch, pick this up? Profanity around my house? No. He also said in another interview, being a dad is definitely living a double life. As far back as I can remember, even before Haley was born, I was a firm believer in freedom of speech. Despite what people may think of me and what I say in my songs, you know, me and Kim have had our moments, I'm trying to teach them and make them learn from my mistakes. It's almost like juggling, juggling the rap life and fatherhood. The Eminem show also includes a number of short skits, like a film soundtrack, similar to the Marshall Mavis LP, where in one particular skit called The Kiss, Eminem reenacts the moment he busted Kim kissing John Guerrera outside the Hot Rocks nightclub while they were still together. As the listener hears Eminem pulling up with his friend Gary, Eminem expresses that he is going to kill him as they wait for them to emerge from the club. Eminem loads his pistol as Gary attempts to talk him out of it, but ignoring his friend, he jumps out of the car and runs over to the pair in a fit of rage before it cuts to the next track. Of course, Eminem didn't really load his gun, as he exaggerates the truth a little. Including these reenacted moments from Eminem's life, help place the listener in the heat of the moment, and again depicts Eminem's love of film, and the references to The Truman Show, which the album of course was based around. The Kiss is followed by the track The Soldier, and Say Goodbye Hollywood, where in both songs, Eminem explores his weapon charges, and the incident further claiming that he is fearless and a soldier. In the track Soldier, he refers to John Guerrero once again, being nervous when he pulled his gun on him, as Eminem raps the line, Pistol whippin' motherfuckin' bouncer, six foot two, who needs bullets? As soon as I pull it, you sweat bullets. In another skit on the album, titled Paul Rosenberg, we hear Paul firmly telling Eminem to stop being stupid by carrying a gun around in relation to the other incident inside a studio where he pulled a gun on Insane Clown Posse road manager crew, Douglas Dale. While the Steve Berman skit 
sees Eminem shoot Interscope Records sales and marketing leader Steve Berman in a fictional skit as he thought he was going to say the album was terrible but instead he actually really liked it as opposed to previous years where they hadn't been so keen on Eminem's earlier material. Finally, the tracks Square Dance and Say What You Say are directed at Eminem's feud with rapper Cannabis and Source Magazine after they had dissed him. Square Dance also references the War on Terror, while the track Till I Collapse, which was produced by Eminem and utilises the drum beat from We Will Rock You by Queen. The song has in recent years become one of Eminem's most streamed songs of all time on Spotify and sees him collaborate with Nate Dogg. In 2002, Eminem began receiving positive remarks from well-respected journalists, media and the unlikely commentators who usually turn their noses up to this type of music, as Eminem was beginning to be recognised for giving a voice to the underprivileged, everyday American and supporting the angsty youth of the country and the strong lyrical ability that he possesses. Stephen Hill of the TV network BET stated, quote, Eminem gets a pass in the same vein that back during segregation, black folks had to be better than average, had to be the best to be accepted. He is better than the best. In his own way, he is the best lyricist, alliterator and enunciator out there in hip-hop music. In terms of rapping about the pain that other disenfranchised people feel, there is no one better at their game than Eminem. While the BBC also stated that he was comparable to a modern-day William Shakespeare or Bob Dylan and was quoted as saying, Not since Bob Dylan's heyday in the mid-1960s has an artist's output been subjected to such intense academic scrutiny as an exercise in contemporary soul-searching. US critics point to Eminem's vivid portraits of disenfranchised lives using the stark, direct language of the street as an accurate reflection of social injustice. Where parents once recoiled in horror to his music, there now seems to be a greater willingness to acknowledge a music that is striking such a chord among the American young, angry white underclass. While Alan Light for Spin Magazine said, Eminem is even starting to bear a resemblance to one of those rock icons. Marshall Mavers is becoming something like this generation's John Lennon, Lennon and Eminem were both subjects of pickets and protests. They both wrote songs about troubled relationships with their mothers. They both wrote about their strange public lives with their wives. They both wrote about how much they loved their kids. Lennon, of course, was able to find ways to use his voice to advocate for peace rather than just blasting away at litigious family members and various pop stars. But still... Few other pop musicians since Lennon have found a way to render their private psychodramas into compelling art as effectively as Eminem. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Hi everyone, and sorry to interrupt. I hope you're enjoying this episode, but I just wanted to take this opportunity to tell you four ways on how you can support the podcast and play your part in keeping it going so I can continue to bring you more great episodes. If you enjoy Lyrics of Their Life podcast, first of all, it would be greatly appreciated if you could subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. It's totally free to do. It just means that you will receive a notification when a new episode of the podcast becomes available. 
Secondly, you can leave the podcast a positive five-star review on iTunes as this helps the podcast reach a larger audience. Third of all, you can tell your friends all about the podcast or join us on our social media pages at Facebook, Instagram, TikTok and Twitter. While finally, you can take your support one step further and head to our Patreon page and pledge your support to one of two of our plans for just $1 or $5 per month with no locking contract. Or you can pledge just a one-off payment for all the hard work that goes into creating the podcast. And you will receive a number of extra benefits to go with your donation. Or you can even buy me a beer for $5 at buymeacoffee.com forward slash lyrics of life pod. I am a totally independent podcast creator, meaning there are no large networks or businesses financially supporting my work. So your support would be greatly appreciated as it means I can continue creating more content such as biographies, the weekly muse, interviews and more as it takes a lot of time, resources and research to prepare and upload just one single episode. Links to Patreon and Buy Me A Coffee can be found in the show notes on our website at lyricsoftheirlife.com or on our Facebook page. Once again, I appreciate every one of my listeners for their support, no matter the form it comes in. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the episode. In relation to Eminem and Elton John's performance of Stan at the Grammys, Elton John spoke very fondly of Eminem, as Elton was quoted as saying, When Eminem made his entrance, I got goosebumps, the likes of which I have not felt since I first saw Jimi Hendrix, Mick Jagger, James Brown, and Aretha Franklin. Eminem was that good. I thought, fuck, this man is amazing. There are very few performers who can grab you like that the first time. Only the greats. Eminem is a true poet of his time, someone we'll be talking about for decades to come. He tells stories in such a powerful and distinctive way. As a lyricist, he's one of the best I've ever seen. Eminem does for his audience what Dylan did for his. He writes how he feels. His anger, vulnerability and humour come out. The praise for Eminem just kept coming from star musicians, with the queen of controversy herself, Madonna, stating, I like the fact that Eminem is brash and angry and politically incorrect. He's stirring things up, he's provoking a discussion, he's making people's blood boil. He's reflecting what's going on in society right now. That is what art is supposed to do. Stevie Wonder would sum up rap music and the influence of Eminem quite well by stating, Rap to me is a modern blues, a statement of how and where people are at. I think art is a reflection of our society and people don't like to confront the realities in society. But until we really confront the truth, we are going to have a Tupac or Eminem or Biggie Smalls to remind us about it. And thank God, they force people to look at realities in society. On the 8th of November 2002, Eminem made his acting and film debut with the Sammy autobiographical film called 8 Mile. Eminem would play the role of Jimmy B. Rabbit Smith Jr., who lived in an 8 Mile trailer park in Detroit with his alcoholic mother Stephanie, played by Kim Bassinger and representing Debbie Mavers. His abusive and unreliable stepfather, Greg, played by Michael Shannon, would represent the men that came in and out of Eminem's life, and B-Rabbit's younger sister Lily was actually a representation of Eminem's younger brother, Nate. 
Eminem, as Jimmy, worked in a car factory to make ends meet, as his mother was too unreliable to keep the family fed. Jimmy, with his friends Future, Cheddar Bob, Soul, and DJ Is, often ventured down to the local underground rap battle competitions, where they would urge Jimmy to compete, as they knew just how good he was at freestyling. Future would host the rap battles and get Jimmy a spot on the lineup, as he was respected by many in the rap game, with Future actually being a representation of Proof of D12. Proof actually played the role of Little Tick in Jimmy's first rap battle, where Jimmy chokes up and is embarrassingly defeated, as he feels the pressure of being a white man in a predominantly African-American scene. Rappers Exhibit and Obi Trice and occasional Eminem producer DJ Head also starred in the film. In 8 Mile, Jimmy befriends a woman named Alex, who is played by Brittany Murphy, where the two become intimate, all while dealing with his troubled ex-girlfriend Janine, who is pregnant with his child. With Alex and Janine, both representing facets of Eminem's real relationship with ex-wife Kim. Alex eventually cheats on Jimmy with his good friend Wink, who backstabs him by becoming a member of a rival rap battle gang named The Free World, who eventually bash Jimmy for attacking Wink. Fast forward to the end of the film, and Jimmy of course comes out on top at the rap battles, sinking members of The Free World in an epic scene, where he takes the mickey out of himself, which works in his favour, becoming the champion and dethroning Papa Doc. The 8 Mile film connects quite heavily to Eminem's life with a number of close similarities but also includes a number of differences to how things really went down, such as the name changes that were just mentioned. Eminem of course didn't exactly work in a car factory and instead was a short order cook at Gilbert's Lodge as well as working a number of other small factory jobs. When working on the film, They almost had Jimmy working at a hotel, carrying rich people's luggage, but the car factory job was much more interesting and fit better with the Detroit area, being known as the Motor City. Before even being called 8 Mile, towards the end of the production, it was originally titled Untitled Detroit Project, and was even sent to cinemas with the title The Mars Project, before being renamed 8 Mile at the last minute. Alex and Janine are two separate characters in relation to Jimmy's love life in 8 Mile, but in Eminem's world, they both appear to represent Kim. In the scene where Alex cheats on Jimmy, this is perhaps reflective of the time Eminem caught Kim kissing John Guerrera outside the Hot Rocks Club, while it could also be a reference to the time that Champ Town tried to get with Kim. Kim, however, had nothing to do with the film and how it was portrayed. While Eminem had his moments of nervousness while in rap battles, he was a lot better at handling these emotions in real life, and the only time he really choked up was at the Rap Olympics, when he was unfairly cheated out of a victory against Juice. Some of the rap battles were so intense when filming that several extras actually passed out. Eminem's friend Robert Klaus, aka DJ Wreck, referred to as Cheddar Bob in 8 Mile, never actually shot himself as depicted in the film, but it sure made for an interesting moment. Of course, as mentioned earlier, the paintball incident where Jimmy and his friends shot paintballs out the window of their cars was actually a true story, but they were actually caught instead of evading the police, like in the film.
And according to the police, Eminem never actually pulled the trigger, it was just his friends. While Eminem is believed to have lived very briefly in a trailer, there is actually no trailer park located in 8 Mile itself. Instead, the closest one is located in the nearby suburb of Warren, Michigan. In the film, Eminem sticks up for a gay man named Paul during a rap battle, with Eminem perhaps wanting to signal to his haters that he doesn't have a problem with homosexuals. Eminem was also never actually called Rabbit as a child, instead he was actually nicknamed Mickey, like the Disney Mouse, as those close to him thought he had large protruding ears. While finally in the film, Jimmy Rabbit and his friends are seen burning down an abandoned house where a pedophile had sexually assaulted a child. It's unknown whether or not this actually occurred in Eminem's life, but this was a regular occurrence in the Detroit area and on Devil's Night, as mentioned earlier, as they would set alight these old houses that were uninhabited to keep this from happening in their community. To play the role essentially of himself, Eminem managed to lose 24 pounds and was asked by director Curtis Hansen to dye his hair back to a natural brown colour instead of bleach blonde so people could attempt to separate the two a little bit. Eminem had a lot to do with the script, setting and direction of the film as it was shot in Highland Park, Michigan. It was a very brave role to take on for Eminem and Eminem absolutely aced it, putting on an epic performance that to this day stands up as a great film. It opened up at number one at the box office, making $51 million in just the opening weekend, which made it just the second R-rated film at the time to reach those heights in the US. This was off a budget of around $41 million, with 8 Mile overall managing to bring in $242.9 million in total at the box office, smashing its budget and was highly successful. Later in March, it was released on DVD, selling a huge 75 million copies and rentals in just its first week, making it the most successful DVD debut by an R-rated film ever. The fans weren't the only ones loving it, with critics praising the performance of Eminem as Jimmy B. Rabbit and his soundtrack for the film, with many calling it the best film of 2002. Not everyone was happy though, with Eminem's mother Debbie being upset over her portrayal in the film by actor Kim Bassinger. Just days earlier before the film had been released, on the 29th of October 2002, the soundtrack for 8 Mile was released to the public. Thanks to the success of the film and the track Lose Yourself, the 8 Mile soundtrack peaked at number one in nine countries, including Australia, Canada, New Zealand and the US, while also making the top five in four other countries around Europe. In total, the soundtrack would sell close to 10 million copies worldwide. In just its first week, it sold over 700,000 copies worldwide, followed by 500,000 the following week. The album also received rave reviews from critics. The soundtrack included Eminem collaborating with Nas, Obi Trice and the newly signed Shady Records member 50 Cent, who scored a hit with the song Wankstar that managed to peak at number 13 on the mainstream US chart and the top 5 on both the R&B and Hot Rap charts in the US. But of course, the most successful song from the soundtrack was titled Lose Yourself. 
It is now regarded as one of Eminem's greatest songs of all time, with an infectious guitar riff and bass line that puts the listener in Jimmy B. Rabbit's nervous shoes as he goes in for a rap battle, and the lyrics support this being some of the most memorable of all time. As Eminem raps the line, His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy, there's vomit on his sweater already, mum's spaghetti. In this song, Eminem sums up the 8 Mile film plot with the early themes of choking up at rap battles and Jimmy attempting to change his life for the better before later verses get more deep and Eminem makes the song more personal about the fears of not being able to look after Haley with an average day job in Detroit as he raps the lines, all the pain inside amplified by the fact that I can't get by with my 9 to 5 and I can't provide the right type of life for my family Cause man, these goddamn food stamps don't buy diapers. And it's no movie. There's no Mackie Pfeiffer. This is my life. And these times are so hard. And it's getting even harder trying to feed and water my seed. With seed, of course, referring to his daughter. Eminem refers to Mackie Pfeiffer in that line, as he is the actor that played the role of Future. Lose Yourself would peak at number one in a huge 24 countries, including the US, Canada, UK, New Zealand, around Europe, and Australia, and managed to sell around 10 million copies alone in the US, where it went diamond and would sell around 16 million copies worldwide. Eminem said that he wrote Lose Yourself while on the set of 8 Mile in his trailer, and those on the set noticed that any free time he had, he would be in his trailer writing songs for the film, describing it as a very full-on and intense experience. After Eminem had wrote Lose Yourself, he recorded it in a portable studio that they had set up for him on set. According to the Guinness World Records, Lose Yourself became the longest-running single at number one on the mainstream for a rap song, with a total of 23 weeks in the US. Lose Yourself featured a range of instruments such as woodwind, violin, horns, strings, drums, and a keyboard, and would be heavily produced and layered, something that Eminem hadn't really done too much of before. Parody musician Weird Al Yankovic was granted permission to record a parody version of the song, which was called Couch Potato, in 2003 for his album Poodle Hat, but Eminem told him he wouldn't be able to film a music video for the song. On March 23, 2003, at the 75th Academy Awards, Eminem along with producer Jeff Bass and co-writer Louis Resto were nominated for the Best Original Song Award for the track Lose Yourself for the 8 Mile film. Eminem didn't expect to win an award that night as he thought due to it being the biggest high-profile award show that he had no chance as he was up against songs by U2 and Paul Simon. Eminem instead decided to stay at home with his daughter Haley, watching cartoons on TV and miss the whole award show. But sure enough, Lose Yourself took out the award, making Eminem an Academy Award winner, with Louis Resto accepting the award on Eminem's behalf. Many thought that Eminem didn't show up as the Academy wouldn't allow him to perform the explicit version of the song Lose Yourself, but this, according to Eminem, was actually false. Lose Yourself went on to win two Grammys, also performing the song with The Roots that night, and won an ASCAP award, two BMIs, and a BFCA award. 
while Eminem himself earned Best Male Performance and Breakthrough Male Performance at the MTV Movie Awards as well as two Teen Choice Awards. Speaking with Vanity Magazine after the big win, Eminem spoke with regret, wishing he had have taken his chances and taken it more seriously, as he thought it would have been crazy to accept the award from a legend of film like Barbara Streisand, who presented the award. As Eminem was quoted as saying, I don't even think I understood back then that you could get an Oscar for a song, and I remember being kind of confused about why I was even up for one. Because as a kid with the Oscars, it was like a vacuum. When asked by Vanity if there were any other chances to see him in acting in the future, Eminem replied, quote, If the right script comes along, and it's something that fits with my schedule, there was a lot of stuff that was not, um, it was a lot of work, and it being my first film, I was not really expecting that. And it's tough when you've got to be on someone else's schedule with the way that I work. But yeah, I'm certainly glad that I did it, and there were parts that were definitely fun. It was just a lot. Despite a couple of brief cameo appearances here and there in movies and TV, Eminem would step away from film to predominantly focus on his family and his music, as it proved to be too much for the rapper. He hated being on the road and away from his family, and the intense and gruelling nature of a movie set turned him off it for quite some time, which the same went for touring. He loved performing for the fans, but just not the actual travel that was involved. While on set, Eminem actually developed a bad prescription drug habit, which would continue to affect him for some time to come. He explained that when he took Vicodin, it took away the pain and made him feel mellow, which then led to an unhealthy addiction to the drug. The set of 8 Mile was so intense that Eminem hardly slept and was so busy with 16-hour days on set. It was an hour drive each way home and he would be left with just four hours to sleep and two hours to eat. He would see Haley and the kids and freshen up to go back and do it all again the next day. Along with a heavy touring schedule while on the 2002 Anger Management Tour, Eminem struggled to keep up without taking drugs and to help him sleep he started taking Ambien for the very first time and would take Ambien every night. As he was quoted as saying, We were doing 16 hours on the set of 8 Mile, and you had a certain window where you had to sleep. One day somebody gave me Ambien, and it knocked me the fuck out. I was like, I need this all the time. Then when I got off probation for my felonies in 2003, and I didn't have to drop urine anymore, the rains came off. Once the filming for 8 Mile had wrapped up, Eminem required Ambien every day after a live show. As he was quoted as saying, I could consume anywhere from 40 to 60 Valium in a day, Vicodin maybe 30. After 8 Mile, Eminem also developed insomnia and also put on a significant amount of weight, weighing in at over 100 kilograms at one stage, with fans struggling to recognise him when they saw him out. As he was quoted as saying, The kids behind the counter knew me, it wouldn't even faze them, or I'd sit up at Denny's or Big Boy and just eat by myself. It was sad. On the 6th of February 2003, Eminem's new addition to Shady Records had just released their new album titled Get Rich or Die Tryin' and that man was 50 Cent. 
Eminem had approached 50 Cent during filming for 8 Mile in 2002 after meeting officially at a release party with a deal worth $1 million to sign him to Shady and Aftermath Records as 50 Cent knocked back an offer from Universal Records for Shady Records as he feared Universal wouldn't do him justice and would place restrictions on him. Eminem found out about 50 Cent through his lawyer who knew Eminem's manager Paul Rosenberg. Eminem first of all listened to his mixtape titled Guess Who's Back, which immediately impressed him as he decided with Paul that signing 50 Cent was an opportunity that they didn't want to miss. While Eminem once said that signing him was a mistake, it soon proved that they had hit the jackpot instead. This of course came after 50 Cent had caused quite a stir in recent times. 50 Cent first gained attention for his controversial single called How To Rob from 1999. In 2000, he was set to release his debut album titled Power Of The Dollar with Columbia Records, but it was cancelled and he had his contract torn up after he was involved in a shooting just two months prior to its release. 50 was attacked while visiting his grandmother as he was standing out the front of the property while his grandmother planted flowers in the garden when a driver and his passenger parked their car just up the road from them. A man exited the vehicle and walked around to the other side of the car as 50 wondered what he was doing. All of a sudden, the man began shooting through the actual car window towards 50 Cent with a 9mm handgun at close range. 50 Cent was shot a total of 9 times, with all 9 of the bullets connecting and entering his hand, both legs, his arm, hip, chest and left cheek. This caused quite bad scarring to 50 Cent's face, resulting in a swollen tongue, a slight lisp or slurred voice, the loss of a wisdom tooth, and 50 Cent also broke two of his legs and was quite shaken up and slightly scared by the event, thinking that it may happen again and he was very lucky to be alive. 50 was taken to the hospital where he spent 13 days in recovery and the alleged attacker was killed three weeks later and was said to be Daryl Baum, who was a good friend of Mike Tyson's. 50 Cent was quoted as saying, After I got shot nine times at close range and didn't die, I started to think that I must have a purpose in life. How much more damage could that shell have done? Give me an inch in this direction, or that one, and I'm gone. 50 Cent would be required to use a walker for six weeks, and it took him a total of five months to recover. He was left with a slight limp when he walks from the shooting, but carried on deciding to hit the gym, and after fearing he may never rap again, he was lucky enough to sign with Columbia Records. But after 50 Cent released a controversial song called Ghetto Quran, they dropped him almost immediately, and believe it or not, he was blacklisted by the American music industry, meaning he would not be allowed to record in another US recording studio, instead travelling to Canada, where he recorded his mixtape, leading to Eminem discovering him as Columbia Records had let him go. Eminem and 50 Cent would remain good buddies ever since. 50 Cent's album, Get Rich or Die Tryin', would become Shady Records' biggest hit yet, charting at number one on the US R&B chart and US Billboard 200 chart, number one in Canada and the top five in nine countries, including the UK, Australia and New Zealand. 
to this day, Get Rich or Die Tryin' has sold 13 million copies worldwide and saw Eminem produce four tracks and collaborate on two others with 50 Cent. These songs were titled Patiently Waiting and Don't Push Me. Eminem aspired to be recognised as a producer and that was finally being noticed. With his own mentor Dr Dre explaining that Eminem was one of the only ones he had collaborated with that enjoyed the mixing side of things also and he noticed how fascinated Eminem was with it all. The biggest hits from 50 Cent's album included the songs Into Club, which went to number one in 10 countries, including Australia, the US, Canada, and New Zealand, while the tracks 21 Questions and Pimp also charted well. It was a great start to Eminem's label, and things were looking very promising at this stage. He helped bring 50 Cent's career back from the dead, and 50 Cent himself was even awarded his very own record label by Interscope Records that very same year. DJ Green Lantern, who had also DJed for Eminem on the Anger Management Tour, also released his debut mixtape, titled Invasion, under Shady Records, around the same time. At 2.30am on the 10th of June 2003, Kim was once again in trouble with the law when she was pulled up at traffic lights by police in her Cadillac Escalade for a traffic violation on Interstate 94 near 12 Mile Road at St. Clair Shores in Detroit, Michigan. She was travelling with a female passenger at the time and was arrested for possession of two bags of a white substance that was later tested to be less than 25 grams of cocaine. In total, she was charged with felony possession of cocaine, driving with a suspended licence and unsafe driving near a stopped emergency vehicle. These charges saw Kim looking at four years and three months jail time. By the time court came around, it was March 2004. Kim was given orders to return to rehab, but after breaking rehab facility rules, she was taken to jail for a brief period while they worked out what to do with her next. Kim was instead given another chance and was sent back to rehab, but after she literally did a runner during a doctor's appointment and took off for two months, hiding in a nearby hotel under a different name, The judge had had enough of giving her endless chances and Kim was sent to jail for around 120 to 140 days in prison and then once her sentence was up, she would be required to attend rehab once again in Hazel Park, which was followed by one year of probation. If she broke these orders, she would find herself back in prison for a further year plus probation. On the 27th of June 2003, Eminem would wrap up the second edition of the Anger Management Tour, performing around 45 shows across North America, Europe, the UK and Japan, alongside acts like Cypress Hill, Ludacris, Exhibit, D12, 50 Cent, Obi Trice, Papa Roach and many more. While this was all happening, Eminem's understudy Obi Trice released his debut album titled Cheers under Shady Records in September 2003 and it turned out to be another success for the label. The album sold close to 2 million copies and was received well by critics and even made it to the top 5 in Canada and the US. Eminem worked as the executive producer on the album and was basically responsible for the album's production and working on the beats, despite cameos here and there from Dr. Dre and others. 
Obi Trice's single Got Some Teeth managed to reach number 8 in the UK, while his second single, titled Shit Hits the Fan, saw him dissing Ja Rule. Eminem would also have a problem of his own with Ja Rule, and this was voiced when a bootleg album, titled Straight From The Lab, was released and included the track Bully and Haley's Revenge, where Eminem retaliates and stands up to comments made by Ja Rule in his song Loose Change, about Eminem, his family, and specifically Haley, where Ja Rule rapped the line, M, you claim your mother's a crackhead and Kim is a known slut. So what's Haley gonna be when she grows up? Eminem's track Haley's Revenge would ultimately fizzle out the feud, but not before a number of diss tracks were heard, including Hail Mary, Bump Heads, and The Conspiracy Theory. The feud actually all started between 50 Cent and Ja Rule, after Ja Rule claimed that 50 Cent stole some of his jewellery and stabbed him with a knife in a physical altercation, as well as dissing each other in a range of tracks, with Eminem claiming that he was brought into it just because he became associated with 50 Cent. With Ja Rule confirming that yes, he disliked Eminem and Dr. Dre signing someone he had a beef with. Eminem would get engaged in a number of feuds around this time and had been involved in one with rapper Cannabis for quite some time, dating back to 1999. It all started when Cannabis had expressed his interest to collaborate on a track with Eminem, but Eminem rejected him. Cannabis and Wycliff Jean then suspected that Eminem ghost wrote the track The Ripper Strikes Back for LL Cool J, which Eminem got defensive about and denied the allegation, with Eminem claiming that Cannabis was very hostile and rude to him. Ghostwriting, of course, was a huge crime in rap music, and those who were found to be ghostwriting, or rapping to a track that was written by somebody else, they would be looked down upon by the rap community. Cannabis was already in a long-running feud with LL Cool J, and was looking for any source of evidence to get back at him, or have some beef on him. As the years went by, Cannabis apologised to Eminem while on the 2001 Warp Tour, and Eminem agreed to finally collaborate with him. But when Eminem heard the track Fuck You on Cannabis's latest album, he found that they appeared to diss Eminem and LL Cool J. The feud broke out from here once again, where Cannabis attempted to continue Eminem's track Stan and put his own spin on it, calling it You Didn't Care, which took personal shots at Eminem. Eminem wouldn't hold back and reference Cannabis in a song called My Name with Exhibit and the tracks When the Music Stops, Square Dance, Can I Bitch and Say What You Say. The feud, however, would settle down in late 2003 but Cannabis would reignite it briefly a few years down the track. Eminem was the king of controversy around this time, and everyone wanted their chance to take a piece of the popular rapper. It was also in 2003 when Eminem got involved in a feud with rapper and Source magazine writer Benzino. Benzino released the track titled Pull Your Skirt Up, aimed at dissing Eminem, and claimed that Eminem was a tool and that he lacked street credibility. As the Source magazine and Benzino looked to dig dirt up on Eminem, he retaliated with two tracks titled The Source and Nail in the Coffin. Benzino also replied with a number of tracks titled Better Lose Yourself and Die Another Day, and when writing for Source magazine, he rated the Eminem show just four mics out of five, 
which Eminem claimed was a race issue Benzino had against him. The track Better Lose Yourself, of course being a parody of Eminem's Lose Yourself for the 8 Mile soundtrack, as Benzino struck the chord that always gained a response from Eminem by mentioning Haley by rapping the line, Tell Haley it ain't safe no more, daddy better watch your back at the candy store. The feud went back and forth with Benzino, seeming envious of Eminem's success and claiming people give Eminem too much credit for furthering or being the saviour of rap music, with Benzino claiming that Eminem's white privilege got him further in the industry. Either way, Benzino was yet another disgraced rapper, making personal attacks on Eminem's daughter, and ultimately, it's the cheapest option, and a low blow, when trying to bait Eminem, instead of being witty about it, and using great one-liners. Benzino's attacks on Haley caused Eminem fans to rage, and radio stations would put bands on playing Benzino's music, which would force Benzino to then bag Eminem every chance he got through the only source he could with Source Magazine. Eminem would retaliate with the song Go To Sleep as a diss to both Benzino and Ja Rule. Due to this feud, Source Magazine, thanks to Benzino, then pulled all of Shady Records and Aftermath Records advertisements and features on their artists from their magazine, placing a ban on them. This wouldn't bother Eminem too much, however, as he then signed a deal with XXL Magazine, sparking a feud between Source Magazine and XXL. With Benzino working with Source Magazine and writer Kimberly Osario, they released a story claiming that Eminem was a racist, as they had dug up dirt from the late 1980s, where Eminem had recorded a demo tape that included a song called Foolish Pride about being dumped by his then African-American girlfriend, and that he had used the N-word as they printed the lyrics inside the edition of Source Magazine. When questioned, Eminem confirmed that he had wrote these lyrics and apologised to his fans, as the feud then turned into Ja Rule and Benzino versus Eminem and 50 Cent. The feud would finally be settled once and for all later in 2005, with Eminem teaming with Obi Trice with the track I'm Gone, with fans of both sides declaring Eminem as the winner. Several years later, Benzino admitted to Rap Fix Live that, quote, I can say it now, I was wrong for it, because at the end of the day, Eminem is a great lyricist and he should be able to express himself in hip-hop as anybody should. Eminem's still going and he's still a great influence on hip-hop. Hip-hop has bridged the cultures, white, black, Latino and Asian. It's for everybody. On the 8th of December 2003, it was announced that Eminem was now under investigation by the United States Secret Service, stating that they were looking into allegations that Eminem had threatened the current US President, George W. Bush, in an unreleased bootleg song called We As Americans, with the lyrics reading, Fuck money, I don't rap for dead presidents. I'd rather see the president dead. It's never been said, but I set precedents. The song would later be released as a bonus deluxe album track on Eminem's album Encore with altered lyrics. 
While the drama continued to unfold, on the 23rd of December 2003, a box set album titled The Singles was released to the world, including a range of different versions of some of Eminem's biggest hits, music videos, and remixes of some lesser-known tracks such as B-Sides and was released through Shady and Aftermath Records. In late December 2003, Eminem and Paul Rosenberg made yet another signing to Shady Records, with Stat Quo joining the crew in a joint deal with Dr. Dre and Aftermath Entertainment. In 2003 and 2004, Eminem also worked on two albums for one of his rap heroes in Tupac, putting his production skills to the test once again, producing three tracks for the album, Tupac Resurrection, and 12 of 16 tracks on the Loyal to the Game album. From late 2003 to early 2004, Eminem headed back into the studio with D12 to record their second studio album together, titled D12 World. The only problem was, Eminem had limited time to give to his D12 crew, as he spent much of his time just producing tracks on the album, instead of actually featuring on them, and was preoccupied with running his own label and producing for other artists. In order to promote D12 World, D12 released their first single from the album, titled My Band. With an epic beat and a comical rap style, it was a recipe for success, with My Band reaching number one in Norway, New Zealand and Australia, where it was a huge success, receiving mass airplay. My Band also reached the top five in seven countries, including the UK and number six in the US. Along with the hilarious music video, the song details what many had been thinking, as they knew who Eminem was, but not so much the other members of D12, and that basically Eminem was seen as their frontman, which started to cause a rift between the group, as Eminem got all the ladies, all the media attention, and was casting a large shadow over the rest of the group with how big he was getting, especially when they were supposed to be viewed as equals. Eminem was often asked by interviewers or fans, so who's your band, or they would always mix up their names. D12's ability, however, to put the mock on themselves in this satirical type song proved to be a masterstroke as it gave them a number one hit and remains one of the group's classic tracks. On the 27th of April 2004, D12 released the album D12 World, which managed to chart at number one in five countries, including New Zealand, Canada, Ireland, the US and UK, as well as number two in Germany and Australia, and went on to sell around 2.8 million copies worldwide, which was a decent amount of sales, but compared to the success of their debut album Devil's Night, it was considered a flop, and critics of course agreed. Their following single, called How Come, was released on the 8th of June and would further cement the feeling that there was a strong rift within D12, where Eminem addresses the other members of D12 about feeling as though they are becoming more distant, and in particular with his childhood friend Proof, who was like a brother to him. As Eminem raps the line, We were so young, so full of life and vibrance, side by side, wherever you was riding I went. So close, almost on some Bonnie and Clyde shit. When Ronnie died, you were right by my side, with a shoulder to cry on and tissue to wipe my eyes, and a bucket to catch every tear I cried inside it. 
You even had the same type of childhood that I did. Sometimes I just want to know, why is it that you succumbed to yours? And mine, I survived it. You ran the streets, I nine to fived it. We grew up, grew apart as time went by us. And I blew up to both yours and mine's surprises. Now I feel a vibe I just can't describe it. As much as your pride tries to hide it. You're cold, your touch is just like ice. And your eyes is a look of resentment. I can sense it, and I don't like it. How come we don't even talk no more, and you don't even call no more? We don't barely keep in touch at all, and I don't even feel the same love when we hug no more. And I heard it through the grapevine, that we even beefin' now, after all the years we've been down. Ain't no way, no how, this bullshit can't be true. We family. Ain't a damn thing changed, unless it's you. As Eminem got further into the music industry as a solo artist, producer, managing his own label, touring and dealing with his ex-wife and children, he became a lot busier and in D12's eyes, he became arrogant and caught up in the business side of things, placing all of these factors in front of them and the bond they shared. Con Artis, aka Mr. Porter, then jumps on the mic in the second verse and starts rapping in retaliation to Eminem's comments as he brings up the time Eminem caught his wife kissing another man outside the club. As Con Artis says he only tried to be supportive of Eminem at that time and to warn him about Kim's true side, but was instead pushed away and claims that the only one who is changing is Eminem. Proof then gets his chance to speak up with a witty and killer verse of his own and responds by saying that he appreciates that through Eminem's success and getting D12 into the industry, that he was able to keep his young family fed and keep them on their feet, but that Proof was also the one that helped him get there in the first place and he too feels like Eminem has changed a lot to the point that when he attends Eminem's shows, he can't even look Proof in the eye anymore and that he feels that Eminem has developed a massive ego. D12 and Eminem's ability to be this raw and honest with their fans, the public and themselves was a very brave and interesting way to voice their problems with one another but it worked wonders as the track rose to number four in Australia, Ireland and the UK and surprisingly struggled in the US, only making it to number 27 despite being a great underrated track and arguably it is one of their first tracks to actually dig deep into more serious topics and perhaps doesn't get the credit it deserves. The album, however, was that much of a disappointment sales-wise that some D12 members had to resort to selling weed on the side just to make ends meet. After Eminem spent a lot of his recent time collaborating with other artists and attending to other personal matters, he was finally ready to release some new music of his own. On the 28th of September, Eminem returned with the track Just Lose It in true controversial style, the only way he knew how. Continuing on with his trend of building up a new album with a controversial and humorous style song, Just Lose It would diss everyone from Michael Jackson to MC Hammer with the music video causing quite the stir. In the song and music video, Eminem refers to the child molestation claims made against Michael Jackson despite trying to play it off as a metaphor and also mentions Michael Jackson's plastic surgery which were amplified further in the music video as Eminem was seen dressed as Michael Jackson where he starts moonwalking and bumps into Madonna who is also played by Eminem who is seen wearing her famous firework breasted outfit. 
Madonna then bumps into a table holding a burning candle that instantly ignites the fireworks. Madonna then turns around and accidentally lights Michael's hair on fire as a reference to the infamous 1984 Pepsi commercial pyrotechnic disaster that saw MJ's hair catch on fire. In the film clip for Just Lose It, in order to put himself out, MJ then dips his head into a toilet bowl where he then meets B-Rabbit, aka Eminem from 8 Mile, as he vomits all over MJ. The film clip and portrayal of Michael Jackson became so popular and controversial that Michael Jackson himself spoke out just a week later after its release, where he said on the Steve Harvey radio program that, quote, I am very angry at Eminem's depiction of me in his video. I feel that it is outrageous and disrespectful. It is one thing to spoof, but it's another thing to be demeaning and insensitive. I've admired Eminem as an artist and was shocked by this. The video was inappropriate and disrespectful to me, my children, my family, and the community at large. Radio host Steve Harvey stated, Eminem has lost his ghetto pass. We want the pass back. While Stevie Wonder even commented on the matter by saying, quote, It's bullshit and kicking a man while he's down. The video was especially upsetting to much of the African-American community and the many fans of Michael Jackson and was removed from the Black Entertainment television channel after complaints from listeners, including Eminem's rival Benzino, but remained on MTV, becoming one of the most requested videos at the time. The song managed to peak at number one in seven countries, including the UK, Australia, New Zealand, and managed to chart at number six in the US, with many not being able to get past the controversial digs at MJ. The song would also diss the likes of Justin Timberlake and saw Eminem dress as Pee Wee Herman in the film clip and imitate his laugh during the song. Over time, however, the novelty of the song would wear off and has become one of Eminem's least favourite tracks that he ever performed. The song itself hasn't aged very well, despite being a huge hit at the time, and in 2010, Eminem admitted to Rolling Stone that, quote, That's when the wheels were coming off. Every day I had a pocket full of pills, and I would just go into the studio and goof off. He admitted that this period was quite a blur in his life and popping prescription pills was making him write goofy songs that were often ridiculous. On the 26th of October, 2004, Eminem released the second single from his upcoming album with the track Mosh. Mosh was released just a week out from the presidential election and is a political song that Eminem wrote to encourage listeners to vote out the current president George W. Bush. Eminem points out all of Bush's mistakes while in office and the tragedy of 9-11. And while the track didn't become a hit, it was received well by fans and critics. But despite Eminem's efforts to oust Bush, he remained in office until 2009. This single was followed by the release of the song Encore, or sometimes known as Curtains Down, which featured Dr. Dre and 50 Cent alongside Eminem. While the track only just made it into a couple of US charts in the top 30, it did manage to receive a Grammy nomination for Best Rap Performance by a duo or a group. Just two days after Mosh's release, on the 28th of October 2004, Eminem launched his very own radio station called Shade 45 on Sirius XM Channel 45, with his manager Paul Rosenberg becoming the co-producer for the show. 
Eminem decided to set up the radio station in order to give rappers freedom of speech with a fully uncut and uncensored radio station that plays everything from Eminem to Kanye West or Kendrick Lamar. With Rosenberg stating, essentially it's a destination to get and hear things that other people aren't playing. The new radio station was promoted at an event at the Roseland Ballroom in New York City, where future President Donald Trump attended and praised and endorsed the new station, even shaking Eminem's hand, which is something that Eminem says he lives to regret. During 2004, Eminem would lose two family members, including his uncle Todd Nelson, who was Debbie's brother, while he also lost his great-aunt Edna, who had passed away aged 86. Eminem loved Aunt Edna like a mother and said that she and his uncle Charles, who passed away in the early 90s, were the closest thing that he ever had to parents when his mother Debbie was being unreliable. But it was on the 12th of November 2004 where Eminem released his fifth studio album titled Encore. It was yet another successful release for the biggest rapper in the world at the time, with 11.1 million copies being sold around the world in total, and the album itself reached number one in 10 countries, including Australia, New Zealand, the US, UK, Canada, and South Africa, and would reach the top five in a further 11 countries. Encore was released midweek in order to stop people leaking it out early, but this didn't stop the album killing it on the market when it was released, with 710,000 copies flying off the shelves within the first three days of being available, and after 10 days since its release, it had sold 1.5 million copies just in the US alone. The following year, from the 15th of March 2005, Eminem released the album's fourth single with a beautiful, emotional and touching track called Like Toy Soldiers, which sampled the chorus and music from the song Toy Soldiers by Martika. With Martika's soaring vocals adding to the dramatic theme of the song, Eminem delivers his lines in an aggressive but remorseful tone as he refers to not being there enough for his D12 crew, that the feud he had with Ja Rule and Benzino was exhausting, and how record companies take advantage of Eminem and other rappers for their own personal gain by fueling controversy, treating them as their toy soldiers to fight their battles so that they can cash in. While Eminem also refers to the time his friend and early D12 member Bugs was murdered as he raps the lines, That jar shit, I tried to squash it. It was too late to stop it. There's a certain line you just don't cross, and he crossed it. I heard him say Haley's name on a song, and I just lost it. It was crazy. This shit went way beyond some Jay-Z and Nas shit. And even though the battle was won, I feel like we lost it. I spent too much energy on it. Honestly, I'm exhausted. And the line, And I'm so caught in it, I almost feel I'm the one who caused it. This ain't what I'm in hip-hop for. It's not why I got in it. That was never my objective, for someone to get killed. Why would I want to destroy something that I helped build? In the music video, Eminem is seen pacing up and down in the hospital waiting room, covered in blood, with his D12 buddies by his side. As Proof portrays Bugs, as they attempt to revive him in the operating room, after he was attacked. The strange and now ominous scene would perhaps foretell of what was still yet to come for Eminem's good pal Proof. 
Towards the end of the clip, the notorious B.I.G., Tupac, Big L, and Bugs are all shown to show how rap feuds have taken many lives, becoming far too physical and personal than just lyrics in a song, and it needs to stop, as Eminem encourages the violence all across the rap game to cease. Due to some of the feuds that Eminem had been brought into by 50 Cent, Eminem then chose to distance himself from further feuds, with 50 Cent and G-Unit involved in a feud with Jadakiss, Fat Joe, and The Game. As Eminem had already been dragged into feuds with Ja Rule and Murder Inc. and had enough of it all. That same month of March 2005, 50 Cent released his second album with Shady Records, titled The Massacre, where it became the 12th fastest selling album in the US in history since the post sound scan era, with 1.4 million copies being sold in just four days. 50 Cent's new album was close to being the best selling album of 2005, only falling short by 32,000 by none other than Mariah Carey, with her album The Emancipation of Mimi in top spot. Massacre would sell close to 12 million copies worldwide and was yet another smash hit for Eminem's label, with 50 Cent's tracks Candy Shop, Just a Little Bit and Disco Inferno topping charts around the world. Eminem would have a hand in co-writing four tracks on the album with 50 Cent and help produce six of the tracks. One track on the album called Piggy Bank took shots at rapper Jada Kiss with the feud between him and 50 Cent, leading to Eminem losing his first client and his personal DJ, DJ Green Lantern, who was friends with Jada Kiss and didn't want to cause tensions between 50 Cent and Eminem. DJ Alchemist would take DJ Green Lantern's place on the anger management tour as Eminem's DJ. On the 25th of April 2005, Eminem released one of his most heartfelt songs of his career, called Mockingbird. In this track, Eminem sings to his daughter Haley and his niece Elena, aka Lainey, while also referring to the time when he was with Kim. The lyrics in Mockingbird detail the hard times Eminem and his family have endured, the struggles of being on tour and being away from his kids, and the struggles he and Kim have endured with addiction and their own problems with one another. With a tragic and sombre piano melody, it sets the scene perfectly as Eminem apologises to his children for everything they had been exposed to, as he attempts to keep them safe, happy and grounded, and speaks about the many times he's moved out and then gotten back with their mother, and realises that it would all be so confusing for the kids, but that no matter what, he'll always try his best for them and love them unconditionally. Eminem speaks about the time before he was signed to Aftermath Records with Dr. Dre and how difficult it was to scrape by with just enough money to put food on the table but not enough to buy his own kids Christmas presents and sometimes diapers and that every time they did save some money their house would get broken into, endure drive-bys or would be robbed causing further problems and stresses between Kim and Eminem. Mockingbird was a great example of how Eminem had matured as a songwriter and for once he painted Kim in a much more respectable light. In the song, Eminem also opened up on his love for Elena, who he took in at an early age, and how he has now gone from an uncle figure to a father figure as he raps the lines, Laney, I'm talking to you too. Daddy's still here. I like the sound of that. Yeah, it's got a ring to it, don't it? 
Eminem also details the time that Kim had to go to rehab for her drug problems and for a suicide attempt. As Eminem raps the lines, Now hush little baby don't you cry, everything's gonna be alright. Stiffen that upper lip up little lady, I told you daddy's here to hold you through the night. I know mummy's not here right now, and we don't know why. We fear how we feel inside. It may seem a little crazy, pretty baby, but I promise, mama's gonna be alright. Mockingbird would become quite a big hit, reaching number two in Belgium, four in the UK, the top ten in four countries, including New Zealand and Australia, and eleven in the US. On the 7th of June 2005, Eminem would release his final single from the encore album, titled Ask Like That. In this song, Eminem tries a fresh approach with an Indian or Middle Eastern style beat as he raps about the behinds or bottoms of various celebrities, claiming he had never seen an ass like that as he raps from the perspective of a puppet dog named Triumph, the insult comic dog that was first seen in 1997 on The Late Show with Conan O'Brien, being voiced by Robert Smeagol to mock celebrities in a comical fashion, and was utilised this time around by Eminem. In this comical style song, Eminem was accused once again of being a misogynist, and despite being a hit song, it was considered one of the lowest points of Eminem's career. With Eminem telling Rolling Stone magazine much later in 2011 that, quote, Around the tail end of Encore, the songs started getting really goofy. Rain Man, Big Weenie, ass like that. That's when the wheels were coming off. Every day I had a pocket full of pills, and I would just go into the studio and goof off. Eminem admitted that he started losing his grip on the rap scene and that some of his work was quite stupid and just not witty or smart anymore. During the song, Eminem makes references to a range of celebrities and musicians such as Jessica Simpson and Gwen Stefani. Ass Like That was often censored and changed to butt like that or just like that and managed to peak at number 4 in the UK and Ireland, and it made the top 10 in Denmark, New Zealand, and Australia. But in the US, it was an absolute disaster, not even breaking the mainstream top 60, as Eminem's reign on the US Billboard charts came to an end. During the song and the music video for Ass Like That, Eminem decided to give the impression that Triumph the Dog Puppet was saying all these weird outlandish and outrageous comments with Eminem perhaps venting through yet another alter ego. Some of the comments from the music video had to be cut from being aired on certain TV stations as Triumph the Puppet Dog interviews Eminem saying, quote, As a dog, I must know, what does Dr. Dre's ass smell like? Before saying, you're so cute and small, no wonder Elton John loves you, your head comes up to his waist. And the line, do you kiss 50 cent with that mouth? As Eminem knocks the dog puppet out. It was all crazy stuff that only Eminem would ever think up, and especially helped along by Eminem's pill popping. But again, his ability to write this stuff, to create humour at his own expense, worked wonders and showed that he didn't take himself too seriously, which made him more relatable. At the 2005 MTV Music Video Awards, Eminem showed up to perform Ass Like That, 
but before he kicked off the performance, he decided to use his Triumph the Comic Dog puppet to mock Lindsay Lohan, who was seated in the audience, feeling rather uncomfortable, but taking the joke well, as he referred to her acting career and the sex tape that was leaked, featuring Lindsay. Some of the most intriguing tracks from Encore that weren't released as singles included the song Evil Deeds. Evil Deeds is the first full-length track following the opening Curtains Up skit and has a great flowing beat produced by Dr. Dre as Eminem speaks about all the controversy surrounding his music, the rumours surrounding his private life and his upbringing. He speaks briefly about the time he was bullied in school and notably references his father leaving when he was just a child and blames his parents for the way he is turned out and for not having a filter as he raps the line Father please forgive me for I know not what I do I just never had the chance to ever meet you Therefore I did not know that I would grow to be my mother's evil seed and do these evil deeds The next track, Never Enough sees Eminem speak once again about rap feuds that turn ugly, how he has defeated them all, and how rap battles go down in general, with 50 Cent and Nate Dogg adding some great verses to the track. In the track Yellow Brick Road, Eminem urges the listener to travel back in time to his pre-music industry days and refers to the controversial demo track called Foolish Pride that Benzino and Source magazine dug up on him that brought about a lot of trouble for Eminem in relation to racism, as mentioned earlier. In Yellow Brick Road, Eminem speaks about how he got with the African-American girl from the Foolish Pride song, as she always had eyes for him, and he found her attractive, and knew it would get back at Kim, who he claims was two-timing him, in 1989. Eminem's plan, however, backfired, and he was dumped by this girl, as he attempts to justify writing the N-word in Foolish Pride, as well as referring to African-American women as dumb, and that they will use you for money. He attempted to get across in Yellow Brick Road that where he was brought up, he didn't know any better, but apologises now for his actions and of course his words. As he raps the line, But I've heard people say they heard the tape, and it ain't that bad. But it was. I singled out a whole race, and for that I apologise. I was wrong, because no matter what colour a girl is, she is still a hoe. Eminem had only ever used the N-word in one song before, being Foolish Pride, which he wrote in the 80s, and he refrained from using it ever again. Despite Eminem being reasonably kind to Kim in the song Mockingbird, Eminem returns to bagging Kim out in the track Puke, as he expresses how sick she makes him feel, and all the crap that she put him and their family through. Eminem refers to how he has Kim's name inked on his skin and how disappointed he was in her for getting busted for cocaine possession as he refers to Kim in the song as a cokehead. This was despite Eminem battling his own addiction problems. To emphasise the repulsion that Eminem feels for Kim, he creates puking sounds throughout the track. In the track My First Single, Eminem raps about pop stars who basically sing about nothing of substance and release a happy-go-lucky song with no real meaning as their lead single, as opposed to his style of being controversial, with his first single on every album being a controversial one such as My Name Is, The Real Slim Shady, Without Me, and Just Lose It. 
During the song My First Single, Eminem can be heard making farting and pooping sounds, and the track has been regarded by his fans as one of his worst tracks of all time. In another skit on the album, Paul Rosenberg appears once again to inform Eminem that he may be in some trouble with the label and the king of pop Michael Jackson over the track Just Lose It, while another skit later on sees Eminem take a not-so-serious approach to MJ being upset over the film clip. In the track Spends Some Time, Eminem teams with 50 Cent, Obi Trice and Stat Quo as they rap about the mistakes they've made in love and while on the road. In Eminem's verse in the song, he expresses how he fell for a woman who remains unnamed, but in the end, she turned out to be just like the rest of the groupies, or just like Kim, as he raps the lines, I used to say I never met a girl like you before, still ain't got a fucking clue as to who you truly are. Almost went as far as introducing you to my daughters, till you went as far as going and snooping through my drawers. Now I just feel stupid for the loop that you threw me for. Can't believe I almost flew the coop for some stupid whore. You used to say all you wanted was for me to be yours. All I ever wanted from you was a few booty calls. When this song was released on Encore, many wondered who the mysterious woman was and if it was a true story or not. Speculation was raised that in the early 2000s, Eminem fell for a woman named Marissa Cirillo, but it's unsure whether this was true or not, and it's never been confirmed or denied by Eminem. Those that did believe the rumour, however, claimed that she had been the inspiration of Brittany Murphy's character in the film 8 Mile, and that she screwed him over all the same. With Kim to this day, never watching 8 Mile herself, Theorists believe it's because the rumour of the mysterious woman is actually true. In the track Crazy in Love, Eminem speaks about his turbulent relationship with Kim as they had been back and forth breaking up and getting back together for such a long time. But fans once again claim Marissa is also an inspiration for part of the song. Eminem explains in the song how hard it is to maintain or to just be in a relationship and how he and Kim are just as crazy as each other. Some have even claimed that Eminem is referring to his love-hate relationship with drugs, but it may all be a combination of all these themes as Eminem raps the lines, Can't you see what you do to me, baby? You make me crazy. You make me act like a maniac. I'm like a lunatic. You make me sick. You're truly the only one who can do this to me. You just make me go so crazy. I go schizo. I get so insane. I just go schizophrenic. The bonus track Love You More expresses Eminem's relationship with Kim in more detail as he claims that despite all the things he's been put through and no matter how bad she treats him, he keeps on coming back and that he still has love for her as he paints the picture of their toxic relationship. As he raps the line... The more you put me through, the more it makes me want to come back to you. You say you hate me, I just love you more. You don't want me, I just want you more. I buy you flowers, you throw them at me. I know it's sad, but it's making me happy. The more that you slap me, the more that it turns me on. Cause you love me, and I love you more. In August 2005, Eminem's radio station Shade 45 and his label Shady Records featured in XXL magazine, giving his brands great exposure, which led to Eminem signing his fifth artist in Atlanta-based rapper Bobby Creekwater. 
During early September 2005, Eminem announced he would step away from music for a much-needed break. Eminem was growing tired of the media circus surrounding his work and often wondered to himself if it was all worth it. He claimed that he was sick of all the interviews, press releases, tours, travel and being swarmed by over-possessive fans, all of which forced him further into popping pills and drinking excessive amounts of alcohol. He said he felt like he was getting pulled everywhere and that he literally blew up too fast, selling close to 50 million albums or more by this stage already and described the sudden rise to fame and how quickly the years passed as a blur. At the time he announced he's going on a break, he had performed 24 shows across the USA, finishing in Detroit on the third edition of the Anger Management Tour, alongside Pitbull, 50 Cent, Ludacris, Stat Quo, Obi Trice, D12 and more, and decided he would cancel further tour plans of Canada, the UK and Europe for September, as he needed to take a much needed break. Eminem would spend much of this time lazing around watching TV and eating fast food, which soon enough saw him stack on the weight, getting as heavy as 90 to 100 kilos or 198 to 220 pounds, and his depression and addiction problems were once again bringing him down. Eminem was in quite a dark place and at times stopped showering and taking care of himself. Knowing he needed to change his ways, especially to be around for Haley and Elena, he enrolled himself into rehab for the very first time to beat his addiction to alcohol and prescription medications, most notably for sleeping pills. But the long journey to sobriety wouldn't be so easy as he would attend rehab a number of times. Eminem was quoted as saying, The first time I went into rehab was in Brighton, Michigan. The second time, I didn't go to rehab. I just went to a regular hospital. I detoxed in hospital and then came home. I couldn't go back to rehab. I felt like I was Bugs Bunny in rehab. When Bugs Bunny walks into rehab, people are going to turn and look. People at rehab were stealing my hats and pens and notebooks and asking for autographs. I couldn't concentrate on my problem. Rumours then began circulating about Eminem by the pesky media that he was set to retire from the music industry, as well as untrue rumours that he was set to release a double album or that he would now focus on just being a label executive and producer. Despite being mostly untrue, there was some substance to them as he contemplated where he was at in his career and in his life. Join us next time in part 4, where Eminem makes a massive decision on his future and faces some of his biggest career and personal hurdles in his lifetime. Thank you for tuning into that episode. Don't forget to check out our other episodes from season 1 and 2. Ranging from Kurt Cobain and Freddie Mercury to Prince, Chasey Chapman and Stevie Nicks and -and up-and-comers like Youngblood, Tones and I and The Kid Leroy. For more information regarding this episode, including weekly updates and more, head to our Facebook page at Lyrics of Their Life Podcast or our website at lyricsoftheirlife.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok and even YouTube and Spotify where you can find a range of playlists featuring the music of every artist covered in the Lyrics of Their Life podcast so far. 
If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to give back for the hard work that goes into it, it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes, or you can now rate the podcast on Spotify. Don't forget to let your friends and family know about what they've been missing out on, and feel free to click the free subscribe or follow button to the podcast wherever you listen, so you can receive a notification every time a new episode becomes available. If you would like to support the podcast financially, then please feel free to head to Patreon or buymeacoffee.com, where you can contribute your support for the podcast in exchange for some bonus content, ranging from as little as $1 donations to really anything you like. Every bit of support is greatly appreciated, and it means I can continue to bring you more great episodes in the future. This podcast is created and researched completely independently, so your contribution would really help this podcast continue on. Once again, thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I'm your host Adam Hampton, and this is Lyrics of Their Life.